Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Shop Black Friday week deals Sunday through Friday at Kohl's. Plus, get $15 Kohl's cash for every $50 spent. And take an extra 15% off. Get the big one throws, $8.49. Toastmaster small appliances are just $2.14 after rebate. And Fitbit Versa 2 is $129.99. Plus, take 30% off Lego, 70% off fine jewelry, and save on boots for her, $16.99. Plus, get fast and free store pickup. Shop Black Friday week deals at Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Office valid November 22nd through the 27th. 15% off with promo code ENJOY15. Lego and Fitbit offers and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Hey everyone, we have thoughts on the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood trailer. On top of that, Christopher Nolan adds two more people to the cast of his new movie. And then the Disney-Fox merger, it is a done deal. We're going to dig into it and we're going to try to figure out what the possibilities are for the future of the MCU. Now that they've got those Fox characters, who knows, things are getting crazy. And I've got Jeff and Haley with me. How you guys doing? Hello. Good. How are you? I'm wonderful, Perry. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. I see you wore everybody's favorite t-shirt today. Don't you love it? My brother did this. He designed this. I, I am genuinely a fan of that it's t-shirt. It's pretty cool. Because, like, who didn't love water guns as a kid? And I know. still to this day. We should have a squirt gun fight when it gets hot this summer. That sounds awkward, but... I know what you mean. It's a, well, that's a thing. We're going to move into our first story for the day. I don't know. And uh, it is a breaking news story that popped up online right before we started the show. And it's some casting for uh, Sony's Masters of the Universe movie. This report comes from The Wrap. And they're saying that Noah Centennial is currently in talks to play the lead role of He-Man in Masters of the Universe. Aaron and Adam Nee are set to direct the film from a script rewritten by I. Iron Man screenwriters, Matt Holloway and Art Markham. So does this do anything for you guys in terms of your excitement for the Masters of the Universe movie? Are you a Noah Centennial fan? <laughs> that Who's says got, it all, folks. <laughs> Who's got strong feelings? I don't know, I don't know who, yeah. who he is. I know that he's a big celebrity and a traffic driver, and every time I tweet about him, I pick up followers. Um, he seems like the sort of hot flavor of the month. I don't know how he is as an actor. Watch yourself. Those followers are pretty passionate. I know. i, I got to be careful. You um, also should really give to all the boys I love before a watch. It's, it's a real major romantic comedy crowd, please. I, I've been told I need to check that out. Uh, listen, he, he could be a great actor. I, I have no idea because I haven't seen his stuff. Uh, he's a good-looking guy, and I think it's, you know, regardless of... I, I think it's the right career move for him because it gives him a potential franchise and also a good move for Sony because I don't know who else they were going to get for this kind of role, and he is definitely an up-and-comer on the rise. So, you know, it doesn't get it doesn't put my butt in the seat for Masters of the Universe, even though I grew up a He-Man fan. I'm not sure I care about this movie, but I think this is smart all around. I'm the opposite way. I don't okay. really know anything about Masters of the Universe or He-Man outside of very, very basic pop culture interaction with it. But I like this kid. He was really good in that movie. 
Sierra Burgess was not his fault. He did a great job in it. It's just not as good. I, I will, uh, yeah, he's a very charming guy. Sure. I yeah. bet he can get super buff and work a silly haircut. Let's go. Yeah, I'm curious to see him in more things. I mean, even though I have seen to all the boys, I've only seen him in that. And it's very difficult to get an understanding of someone's range yeah. and what he's really capable of doing, especially when it comes to headline headlining something that is likely to cost Sony a pretty penny. So I'm curious to see how it pans out. I want to see him add more things to his resume. And if this, the one, if this is the one he's most passionate about, fine by me. It is a big bet for Sony. I think that they were also looking at him for that bloodshot movie his name had sort of surfaced in connection with really um i'm just wondering like looking at looking at photos of this guy he seems i don't know how he's gonna look as a blonde Mm. you know (laughs) aren't you a little worried about that Uh, he doesn't seem like he has light light features exactly what i was gonna (laughs) say not at all no that's definitely my last concern on my list of the he-man movie i'll be hung up on his looks clearly (laughs) wait until we cover the first look photo on this show jeff's mind will be blown (laughs) now we are moving on to our first main story of the day and of course that is the brand new trailer that we got this morning for once upon a time in hollywood of course this is quentin tarantino's new movie it takes place in 1969 and it stars leonardo dicaprio as a faded tv western star who's trying to come to terms with a rapidly changing Hollywood landscape alongside his longtime stunt double played by Brad Pitt. They live next door to actress uh, Sharon Tate, who's played in this movie by Margot Robbie, and the movie is taking place during the summer that she was murdered by followers of Charles Manson. So this one is scheduled to hit theaters on July 26th. Jeff, going to you first on this, there were some criticisms when those posters started dropping online early this week, which were obviously teasing the arrival of this trailer. So, one, were you a fan of those posters? And two, did this trailer do anything for you beyond it? The posters were garbage. Uh, I've already tweeted about that at length. Um, They just look like bad posters for a a bad, like, VOD title. Um, It's just like when when you're, you know, Pulp Fiction, that's an iconic poster. There's going to be Reservoir Dogs posters in dorm rooms from now until the end of time. The yellow and black with Kill Bill. Like, you can do so much with Tarantino, and I felt like Sony was just lazy, and they just, like, you know, we have two of the biggest stars on the planet just slap their faces up there on the poster. So, no, posters were bad. Trailer was definitely an improvement. I like the energy. It's a teaser trailer, so we still don't really have a feel for what the story is, like what kind of journey uh, Pitt and DiCaprio are going to be going on together, and maybe we'll get more of that in the the official trailer. Maybe we won't get any of it, and and it's just a hard movie to sell in a trailer, like I imagine Pulp Fiction kind of might be. But I definitely like the the 60s uh, vibe here. Um, All the costumes look cool. Um, I think there's this uh, writer online, Lindsay Romaine, who broke down all the different uh, yeah, Nerdist, who broke down all the different cameos and all you know the whole trailer. I thought it was a really impressive article. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it looked good. It didn't look great. It didn't blow me away uh, like some other Tarantino teasers have. But this is still my number one most anticipated movie of the year. I'm curious because this is a topic of conversation that I feel like is just like on my brain a lot lately. Do you think Tarantino has any involvement in the marketing campaign of this movie where he's approving things like this poster and this trailer? Because I know it's most most often it is not the case. But with someone like him, who is such a specific style and I mean, really can do anything he wants. Don't you think he would have wanted to say, you know, maybe try something else for that poster? Yeah, I thought Quentin would be really hands on. I don't know what the, the terms of his arrangement is with Sony. I know that they were sort of. 
trumpeting their own uh, marketing expertise when Quentin picked Sony to be the home for this project. Um, yeah, you would think that he that he would sign off on this stuff, but he may have just been like, you know, all I care about is the official poster. Do whatever you want, for and they are just teaser posters. Like they're, true, they're little character true. posters. I get it. They're not supposed. They're not necessarily necessarily supposed to be for film Twitter. They're just for people who don't know that the movie even exists. And hey, you know, we have Leo DiCaprio now. Now they're there. That's a very good point. Another hot topic of conversation with this one right now is how Quentin Tarantino is going to handle incorporating Sharon Tate into this movie. And, you know, I was reading online actually in our own Collider piece that there is some concerns that it doesn't come across the best way in this trailer. And I'll be completely honest on this. I didn't pick up on that in this trailer. Again, like Jeff pointed out, I don't think we dove into the story enough to get me on a firm track with whether or not this is the right approach to take with a story like this. But Haley, I leave it to you. Did you find that to be an issue or is that kind of not registering for you either? I think it's way too early to tell. I, we've talked about this a bit just in concept before. Like, I have concerns about the concept of doing that in a film like this, sure. Uh, especially with a filmmaker like Tarantino, who I'm a big fan, but he's not known for taste above all else. You know, that's not his calling card. So that's a concern, but it's it's way too early to tell. The tone of this trailer was certainly quite silly, um, but that doesn't mean that it'll be silly in the way that it handles her or, you know, certainly I think a lot of people are concerned that he'll take the sort of alternative history route yeah, with yeah. it and do something that's even possibly more trashy than, like, what we got on American Horror Story, which was pretty trashy. Yeah, it was. Um, so I'm optimistically concerned, like, uh, same as I would have been before. I think that there, it's a very dangerous ground to walk on, but there's nothing in the trailer that says to me, oh, they screwed it up bad. No, I, I, I love Mike Moe as Bruce Lee in this mm. trailer. I kind of thought that he stole the whole show. I, you know, when you, when you talk about the revisionist history and, and what Tarantino did with, with Django, with Inglorious Bastards, you know, legend has it Bruce Lee was only like a, a few doors down or a few streets over from the Manson murders. Could maybe Bruce Lee wind up at this party and then the Manson folks bust into this house and Bruce Lee starts kicking ass? <laughs> I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I definitely do think that Quentin Tarantino is going to rewrite history with this movie, and I'm curious to see how he handles it. But as far as this particular teaser trailer goes, this is kind of exactly what I expected. It's got that style, that tone, that playful energy that I know from his films before that I love so much that kind of it's got like a little bit of like a like a almost like a magical mesmerizing vibe where you get caught up in the beat of it very, very quickly. And I just loved where it ended too with I wrote down the line too when she when she tells him that was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life and you just sit on his reaction for a minute I feel like that kind of just encapsulate, encapsulates a lot of Hollywood in one single moment in the teaser trailer a little too well and I'm just looking forward to more of those kinds of beats is, is that moment though going to be at the end of trailers in theaters because it does include the f word it's not a red band it's not a red band trailer so I didn't. It wasn't a green band trailer either. I didn't see a band in front of it. I feel like that's it. that's an easy enough edit yeah. to make. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. of course. I and just, you can still keep the the beat of comedy alive um, very easily. I, I I love that moment where you it's see him a little bit part. more grizzled and weathered. Yeah. 
Um, I also, I, you know, you said something that's kind of interesting, which is that Sony was touting their marketing skills. And as much as film Twitter has enjoyed dunking on those posters, there's something to be said for the fact that, like, the Kill Bill poster that I hung in my bedroom for half of my life had no appeal to the rest of my family. But these posters absolutely will. This trailer will appeal to the rest of my family. You're, you're right. That's what, that's what uh, Josh Dickey said on Twitter, that just the mere fact that we're all talking about how bad the poster is means the poster did its job. It <laughs> is. And also, it's bad in, a, bad in a way that kind of, like, serves internet culture that's constantly manipulating material that they're given. Like, how many, like, reviews visions of that particular poster have you already seen For so sure. i don't know it's a you know i don't applaud bad marketing in order to get attention but at the same time i can kind of understand why that might wind up having a good effect on how the film does in the end all right we're jumping into the big story of the day right now and it's that obviously the disney fox merger is completed and right now we're focusing on a particular piece that was on the hollywood reporter and we're just going to dig into some of the details that pertain to the marvel cinematic universe so first up Disney's acquisition of uh, Fox is complete. Now, for the very first time, the MCU is going to have access to certain characters like the X-Men Fantastic Four that they never had before. And according to this piece from THR, Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool is expected to be the only iteration of the X-Men to make that jump over to Disney, with Bob Iger having confirmed multiple times that a popular R-rated version of that character could exist at their studio. But even before any character reboots happen or or anything like that, Disney still has to deal with the two existing X-Men films that they now have, which are Dark Phoenix and New Mutants. Dark Phoenix is scheduled to hit theaters on June 7th, but New Mutants is still kind of up in the air with THR reporting that Disney execs will decide its future after seeing it. So New Mutants at this point in time still has its August 2nd release date, but they're saying that there's a chance that it might wind up on Disney Plus or Hulu and specifically they say it's got the August 2nd release date but it is said to be troubled as THR puts it so that's kind of where we stand on that and then they get into this other bit about how the X-Men can be incorporated into the MCU and one of the quotes from that portion of the article is unless Kevin Feige has a completed script waiting in his desk drawer any of the newly arrived superheroes are unlikely to hit screens at least until 2021 if not later so Jeff come your way first um just from the behind-the-scenes perspective, the, the studio perspective right now, given the fact that it is day one of this merger being complete, have you seen anything out there on the web that's kind of caught your eye in terms of how the transition is going? To be honest, not really. I, I think, you know, as much as everyone wants to know what's going to happen with the X-Men, what's going to happen with Wolverine, what's going to happen with so-and-so, here's the real question. What's going to happen with these four to 10,000 people who are yeah. going to lose their jobs? Yeah. That's what the people at Disney are worried about right now, and the projects and stuff will sort itself out, you know, after they actually deal with the human element uh, on their lot. Um, so I think that everyone kind of needs to pump the brakes uh, and just, you know, focus on what really matters here, which is, you know, a lot of people's livelihoods are at risk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we spoke a little bit about that yesterday. And, you know, I was even reading some other articles where they painted a picture of what it was like for the marketing team on Dark Phoenix to be in a room. They're going in for a typical meeting in order to prep for the release of their movie. But 
it's not typical in that they step into a room with all these different people around them and they're doing all this work not knowing what their future is going to be. And obviously the future is up in the air no matter what. But one of the things I kept reading in this article was people saying, like, why can't you just tell us? Why can't you just tell us what's happening? So I'm curious to get your take on this, Haley, with kind of Dark Phoenix being distributed by Disney and having all this have happened both at Fox and Disney while the two companies are coming together. I mean, where do you see that marketing campaign going? Is there anything different we might see from that that we haven't seen thus far with a Disney or Fox movie? Sure. I mean, it's an it's an interesting thing because we're seeing an industry paradigm shift right now. It's not just a matter of this one marketing team. It's it's a complete everything about the way sort of Hollywood operates right now is going to be shifted a little bit by this deal because it is so enormous in these two studios or what were two studios until last night at midnight are now one Mm -hmm. in terms of how that changes it for Disney and their marketing. I think they could go the angle of this is your last big X-Men movie with this team and they could really lean into that dynamic they could alternately try to bury it a little bit to smooth the transition over, which I think is probably what's going to happen mm-hmm. with New Mutants. That's yeah, like, kind of feels toast at this point. But honestly, it's it's so hard to predict because this is such an unprecedented, in our lifetime at least, sort of merger that will have such enormous ramifications on how the whole industry functions. Yeah, it's it's going to be an entirely different landscape going forward. And I got a quick glimpse of that when I just signed on to the Disney press site. Yeah. And all of a sudden you see the banner and how many different things they own at this point, which, right. which, is, a, which is a little scary. And this whole thing, I think, probably had... I know that New Mutants was in trouble beforehand... And there were some issues, but it feels like the issues are even bigger with the Disney merger having happened. At least if it had stayed Fox, perhaps that movie might have still made it to theaters. Maybe it would have had a little less behind it as belief waned, but still it would have made it to theaters. And now they have this obvious opportunity to kind of like shove it under a rug, hide it in a closet by putting it on either Disney Plus or what I think is more likely Hulu, That's not even letting it touch the Disney Plus That's brand exactly at this point, which, I think. you know, it seems so unfortunate, especially when I was so into that trailer. I'm a big fan of Josh Boone and everything we had heard about that movie piqued my interest big time and now now it's just getting like nudged away. You think you think it would go to Hulu instead of Disney Plus? Why? Because of the like how adult it is? Maybe it might be R-rated? No, that kind of thing? I, or? I mean let's even R-rated or not I think they would put it on Hulu so it's almost like Disney Plus can start with like a clean slate being pristine it basically being a showcase of like the exact type of or at least right out the gate the best possible content to set that thing going on the best possible note let's say Disney Plus starts in December right it's supposed to start at the end of the year by then dark phoenix could be out on vod on video you know like so so it's going to be available on disney plus anyways right dark phoenix i mean and all the x-men movies in theory i wouldn't be surprised you know we're all just conjuring up ideas Mm -hmm. here but um i wouldn't be surprised if they keep fox stuff off for a little bit to keep the disney brand so put all the fox stuff on hulu for a bit and then maybe they'll start to bleed the brands together more. But I do think that there's a huge value in how the Disney, the pure Disney brand is perceived mm. as they launch Disney+. Plus. I think it's probably until 
you know, whatever the Fox arm winds up being, they start producing things under the Disney umbrella. Sure. That's when the things will be added to Disney Plus rather than Hulu. But again, that's just guessing. And another thing we kind of want to guess on a little bit right now, or at least, you know, paint a picture on what the reality could be just in terms of the rules with getting characters like the X-Men and Fantastic Four into the MCU. Jeff, can you kind of like give us a sense of what would need to happen at this point now that it's a done deal the merger is complete what would need to happen right now to let's say i don't know the x-men or mutants in general just getting a mention in endgame in endgame yes. oh i mean listen anything's possible with with marvel because they can just you know they could shoot something this weekend and they have uh, the resources to to put it into the final cut really quickly um but i think that would be unlikely i i just feel like what is the point of introducing the x-men or hinting or teasing them uh, you know, especially when it's probably going to be a different incarnation, you know, like, so what are you even teasing? Are you teasing the current cast and trying to, like, tease Dark Phoenix? Like, I, I don't, I just I don't get what that val- would look like. I see the value in them teasing, like, not necessarily, let's say, let's say now that Disney has actual access where they could start working with these characters and formulating scripts, I don't think they're going to go run out the door and say, let's find a new Wolverine and let's put him as an, a little Easter egg at the end of the movie in a post credit scene or right. something. I do think there could be some sort of like end credit, post credit scene that at least references the existence of mutants, mutants. in some capacity. That's, that's an interesting and I think theory. That's the way you tee it up. So we basically solidified that they could do something at this point. They had they the could, ability. They could, yes. As of last night, they were able to. Before, they couldn't even really discuss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, but yeah, hey, anything could happen. So, Haley, could, but should? Should they do it? Should. I don't think so. And I, I, my bold prediction is no freaking chance. I, I don't think so at all. I think that Feige is super focused on endgame being an end game for this, you know, 10-year journey we've taken with these characters and staying focused on that. Are post-credit scenes or whatever going to tease a future? Of course, but I think that they will likely tease a future pointing to the characters that we know and love already, Captain Marvel, Black Panther. Um, what I could see happening is maybe like an ADR line, sort of how in the old movies you would hear like a reference to a Doctor Strange somewhere or something like that. Mm-hmm. I could, I could see there being an ADR line in there that's just only, you know, only fans would notice. It wouldn't be like to the, to the larger public, like the mutants are here. But, but my, my larger prediction is no way. All right. I'm going to toss that one to you guys. So now that Marvel can include X-Men and Fantastic Four in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, should they? And if you think they should, how do you think the best way to incorporate them is? How should they go about it? Hit the comment section below. Share your thoughts right there. Also, now is the time to remind you we're going to take your live Twitter questions at the end of the show. Short, sweet, fun, different. Make them crazy. Come on, guys. Send them in using the hashtag Collider Movie Talk. I'm going to regret saying that later. We can get crazy. Read my mind. Maybe (laughs) that's why that word was in there. Um, Now we've got another story for you. And this is actually a follow-up to something we got to cover yesterday. And I'm actually kind of surprised we're already hearing more information on it. We've got yet another update on the new Christopher Nolan movie. So yesterday it was about John David Washington's casting. And now today our very own Jeff Snyder has learned that Robert Pattinson is poised to star opposite him. And then on top of that, we've got Variety reporting that Elizabeth Debicki is also in the mix as well. 
well. We still know next to nothing about the story, but we do know this movie is hitting theaters on July 17th, 2020. Before we even touch this casting, just because we played this game yesterday and it was fun, and I'm curious to know what you guys want to see in this movie, what do you think Christopher Nolan's movie is actually going to be about? Who's got a big story idea? Something ponderous, most likely. Uh, other than that, I'm at a loss. I don't know, but Rob, Robert Pattinson will be the Nolan stand-in. With, and he'll have longer hair, I bet. And he'll just be like really calm and cool and quiet. Wow. Like all of Nolan's leads. <laughs> this sounds like a, a mind-blowing it's, film uh, right here. Yep, ponderous and really calm and cool. The, the combination if of I, the If I could here. think up Christopher Nolan movies, I wouldn't be sitting behind this desk. <laughs> well, is there any... We've constantly been, you know, like shelling out phrases and words as descriptors that have then been taken away. Have right. any of them piqued your interest? And do you think that any of them are actually true and they're trying to hide them? I think that blockbuster action or whatever is probably <laughs> true. Um, the I hope romantic thriller is not true because I just don't go to Nolan for my romance. And um, like, I, he's unless, great unless you're, uh, <laughs> what do they call the people who sleep with the dead? Necrophiliacs. Wow, because no, dead because wow. every movie the wife is dead. Oh yeah, there you go. I was like, that is a weird like, pull, dude. Like, How did we get there? Yeah, um, no, but you're you're correct. Yes, no, I don't I don't go there for romance or necrophilia. So I'm just not sold on that concept but him doing another big blockbuster action movie mm-hmm. absolutely yes. so like something in the vein of inception or uh or uh interstellar, interstellar. Yes. yes or the dark or dunkirk or Duncan. Listen, these are all 150 to 200 million dollar movies. He's going to, you know, the, the sky's the limit. You don't need gigantic stars because Chris Nolan is what you're selling the movie with, right? Yeah. You know, nobody knew who Finn Whitehead was. Uh Pattinson this is huge for him. Pattinson has not done a blockbuster since the last Twilight movie in 2012. He's been working with a ton of of auteur filmmakers in these indie films which have all, you know, or at least for the most part been pretty good, but nobody's seen them. I don't think any of them have cracked like 10 million dollars at the box office this is the chance to work with the biggest director in hollywood on a gigantic movie you know it's not like he's trading in all all the cred that he just earned to do a transformers movie you know what i mean um, he gets the best of both worlds with this yeah it, it, exactly so uh I, I i'm really excited by the cast that nolan is putting together i think elizabeth debicki is you know we, we really liked her performance in widows Absolutely. i think this is a great hire for him I'm I'm so stoked. These are two of my favorite underrated actors out there, and they're such a spectacular pair that I feel like I dreamt it up. I don't even know if they'll share the actual screen together in this film, but I certainly hope so. I, I yeah, this cast already off to a great start, and Elizabeth Debicki. I think I'm still running my Oscar campaign for Widows, so <laughs> maybe this year will be the one. I had her as an outlier for yeah. a short while, a very very short while, um, just so we can figure out what kind of like the timeline is ahead. Of us. Do you guys have any predictions as to when we might actually get concrete information on the plot, or is this something that's going to be kept under wraps until maybe the first teaser trailer drops? I, I think that they could keep it under wraps. Similar to how we had no idea what Us was about until December, until, un, you know, until that uh, trailer reveal. Um, I don't know. No, it's you know, details are tough to get at a Nolan's camp. There aren't a lot of leaks. Last night's story, I knew how lucky I was to stumble upon it, shall we say, and that's why I posted it at three in the morning. Um, because I really didn't think that it, it could hold. Uh, you know, when you when you are lucky enough to get a piece of information on a Christopher Nolan movie, yeah, it's like 
it's rare. So I can't imagine that he's just going to give up the game before he's ready. I wish he would. I want to know what it's about. Hopefully we'll hear more information, maybe even more casting in the very near future, and we will be covering it right here on this show. We've got one more main topic to hit today, and it is about a new movie from the duo that directed Game Night. And of course, that's Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. They've apparently lined up a project over at Universal. This is via Deadline, and it is described as a horror comedy called called The Creeps, not Creeps, The Creeps. And they are on board to write, direct, and produce the film under their own banner. And it's being described as a coming-of-age comedic horror movie. So, I don't know. Haley, let's go with uh, this first. One, does this pique your interest at all? I mean, we don't really know anything in terms of the story, but does the trailer, the directors, and the idea of a coming-of-age horror comedy pique your interest? Absolutely. Uh, I said this when I wrote it up on the site yesterday, but this is... They showed with Game Night and with the script for Homecoming that they just are really good at combining comedy and genre in fun ways. Mm -hmm. I love the way that they used the camera in Game Night to make it action and comedy and the action elements just made the comedy funnier. So yes, I would love to see them do that with horror. So the question I have for you now, Jeff, is because recently we did cover that story that says Ezra Miller is unhappy with the script of The Flash, specifically the tone. These two directors want to make it more fun and like a comedy, and Ezra Miller wants something a little darker. Does picking up a project like this hint that, you know, maybe the time to move on from that particular project, like many directors have done before them, could that be on the horizon? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, these guys are definitely sticking with The Flash, and if anybody gets the boot, it will, in fact, be Ezra Miller. Um, I just don't buy... They they may be letting him write his own script as a sort of vanity play or to say, all right, Ezra, you know, we tried it your way. We still think Goldstein and Daly's draft is better. You know, that's the version we'd love to have you in. If you don't want to do it, we'll find somebody else. Um, That's what I imagine that conversation was like. And and then probably while they said, Ezra, here, take a few months or whatever to to work on this script with uh, Grant Morrison, maybe that's when Goldstein and Daly went, oh, geez, all right, well, let's go into a room and we'll figure out something else that we can sell. I, I think this is just sort of a project that maybe they've been developing or working on. I think it's just a pitch. It's just an idea at the moment. Um, Universal smartly, you know, taking it off the the board. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine this is going to like suddenly supersede the Flash for them. I love the title though, the Creeps. It's just like oh, yeah. you're giving me the Creeps. <laughs> I you know? also think that uh, based on what we're seeing right now and what's coming up. That the super serious age of DC has kind of got a lid on it right now. So I don't think that's what the powers that be are necessarily prioritizing, maybe as much as Ezra might be in his idea of what would make the best film. I I think we've seen with Aquaman, we're about to see with Shazam, and you look at, you know, James Gunn being selected for Suicide Squad and everything we've heard so far about Birds of Prey. They're sort of lighter, more fun films that, that invite a I don't know, a broader audience to have a better time at the movies. Yeah, I I would probably think that's the case, especially, again, having seen Shazam and thinking it works so well within that kind of descriptor right there. So I'm kind of hoping that they continue on that track. And then we'll have something bold, daring, and different with the Joker in the fall, too. So maybe they can have the best of both worlds. Who knows? All right, that is our main lineup for today. Now i got a whole bunch of things to tell you about because we got a lot of shows tomorrow on Collider Video, and they include Collider. 
Collider Live, Jedi Council, and then, of course, Movie Talk right here, 4 p.m. PT tomorrow. In addition to that, I need to draw your attention to a couple of Los Angeles-based screenings that we're going to have soon that are really exciting. On Wednesday, March 27th, you can watch the first two episodes of Amazon Prime's new show, Hannah, and then that event will also include a Collider meet-and-greet after the screening. Then, on top of that, if you want to see Shazam, we are screening it on Friday, March 29th, and we're screening it in IMAX. In addition, there is a Q&A after that screening with director David Sandberg and also star Zachary Levi. If you want to find the information on how to snag some of these tickets, all of that is on Collider.com, so go check it out. And hopefully you guys get to see the uh, the show in the movie. Now, we've got Twitter questions. And I didn't pre-screen a lot of these, so... Did we get oh crazy? God help us all. Um, this first question is from Sophia Elena, who asks... Any of you in that screening with Josh McCuga, and how was that experience? So who saw us with Josh McCuga last night? I did. I did. I did, but I didn't even know McCuga was there. I, I didn't, didn't hear anything. Hear I, you know, I was sitting in the same exact row as him, and I heard him at the very beginning of the movie, and then maybe it was just because I got so wrapped up in it, yeah. but I didn't hear him after, was, like, the first 15 minutes. I was in the very back. I didn't hear him. I did hear the clown sitting next to me, and not a good clown, who thought that he was funnier than Jordan Peele and would just give, like, one-liners during scary I moments. I don't know if we sat next to the same guy, but uh, I, I also sat next to someone who... Seemed to have a dialogue going on with the movie. I what is wasn't, that about? I don't understand. I don't get it. Yeah. A dialogue? How so? <laughs> Just she's talking to the movie. I'm not going to get into it, but uh, it wasn't an ideal screening uh, experience. Okay, that's that's curious. I mean, briefly because we are on the topic of us, and I actually know that all three of us have uh, very different opinions on the movie. Very. Do you want to give some non-spoiler <laughs> thoughts so everybody can know what you think of us? Listen, I, I, I like I said last night, I. I, I I'm glad that Peel is taking uh, this opportunity with the clout that he, you know, uh, earned with Get Out to make horror movies, you know, to tell these original stories. But man, last night was such a massive disappointment, guys. I can't even begin to tell you. I thought I thought the movie was pretentious, predictable. Like I said, I thought the end, you know, ripped off a shot from another recent horror great movie. Uh, Lupita was great. Um, you know, I think we're all in agreement that she's really excellent in, in her dual turn in this film. But man, it, it, the ideas that he's wrestling with, the thing, whatever he's trying to say, it comes out garbled. And and you know, I enjoyed the first two thirds of of the movie, but it has to stick the landing. And for me, it completely missed the landing. What you got, Haley? I agree with much of what you just said, and I agree of much with much of what you have said, Perry. As the enthusiast, I am. I am more towards Perry's side of being quite positive on it, but I, I do think that the message doesn't come across quite as clear as I'd like. That said, I think it is a visceral movie that sucks you in. I swore rather loudly multiple times, like, oh, shit. Uh, it gets you really, really well. I uh, love the cast, not just Lupita, who is obviously the scene stealer, but across the board, the, the daughter's kids. Very good. Yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. Shahadi Wright Joseph? Yeah. Um, she's excellent. Uh, were you guys scared, though? Did you find I it was, scary? During the home invasion portion was probably the, the most afraid I was in a traditional horror home invasion type sense. I think I, I was pretty scared more so when I got home after and I start to like dissect all the themes and the ideas that kind of flipped me out a little to the point that I think it keeps 
That, that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night, is the kind of stuff that this movie taps into. So that's into. what Universal needs to do with its marketing campaign. They need to hire an actress who looks like Perry, ju- dress her up in a red jumpsuit. They know where you live. They send you packages all the time. And then when you get home from that screening, someone just pops out of the bushes with a pair of gold scissors who looks like you. That would be freaky. Can someone film it? <laughs> we'll have that on Collider Video soon. I would be totally... Oh, you weren't here when this happened. There was one time where Josh McCuga hit under my desk and because I stand at the standing desk I didn't see him nice. and he jumped out and he actually like got a good <laughs> jump scare right there I was I just got the biggest kick out of that um, just to tease it a little here there is a non-spoiler review of us up on the channel right now and I actually uh, just recorded a, uh, a spoiler review with uh, Haley and Christian and that's Christian Rubikava not Christian Harloff and I was like you lie <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about the other oh, Christian no, no, no. I'm no, so no, used to no. Uh, no, he's he's Christian. <laughs> no, I get it. I get um, it. We recorded a spoiler review too that you're going to be able to see late Thursday night after you've seen the movie. So keep an eye out for that. All right. I'm just randomly clicking on one. This one is from good old Donnie. I know I can trust Donnie. Given that I am a film nerd and a former high school band geek, I must ask, who is your favorite film composer? Hmm. Anyone have a favorite? Um, uh, Clint, Clint Mansell. I like, I love nice. uh, Clint Mansell who does a lot of the stuff with uh, Aronofsky. Um, I can't believe his name is escaping me right now. It's Cronenberg's uh, go-to guy. Freaking heck. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, James, James Horner, Newton Howard, Jordan uh, Horner, I believe I could be getting mixed up right now, but I love the, the scores in Cronenberg films. They mm-hmm. always stick with me. I, it's always, I don't know. It's, Kind of messed up, maybe, that I tend to think of movies more by the film themselves by the com- than the composer. I should give composers more of my thought process. I mean, it, I, I'm a big composer buff. I love, like, Cliff Martinez and his work with uh, Refn. Um, I'm, I love Howard Shore. Uh, Zimmer has obviously done some some awesome work. And then, you know, people like uh, like Trent Reznor, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the guy, Atticus, Atticus uh, Ross, right? They, they've been making some really cool scores. I don't know. There, there's, there's a lot of uh, great composers working out there today. I'll give yes. a shout out to uh, the person who did the music on us, uh, Michael Abels, because... I think my favorites tend to be the ones that I listen to most often, and that's what I put on my running playlist. So if something winds up there, it's because I just obsessively like listening to it over and over. And that is a lot of John Williams, the the Star Wars uh, scores, and also John Carpenter. I, I'm like weirdly addicted Love to, those. but but in particular for some reason I got very caught up with the new theme for uh, for um, the Halloween oh, sure. movie and. In particular, I can't stop rewatching the video that I took when we went to that concert, and he bled the '78 version into the 2018 yeah. version just so beautifully. Because when when they when it has that little part where they connect, it's just like I get chills all over again. I love it. So it actually it was Howard Shore. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, it's not James at all. Yeah. Uh, Howard Shore. But um, also, and again, I'm only getting the first name, which hopefully this time I have right. Uh, Oh, it's a siren. I thought it was Makuga. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Daniel something so good who did this the score for Into the Spider Verse and King Arthur, and okay. he has he did Ocean's Eight. He has really rhythmic, fun music, and I, I love his stuff. Good list there. All right, this next question comes from Louis E. De La Pena, who asks: If the X Men are not teased in Avengers Endgame, what other characters would you like to see hinted, maybe in a post credit scene? I, I'm Batman. sure Jeff has. Oh yeah, 
I knew we were going to get a snarky answer to that one. Anyone come to mind for you, Haley? I'm not. I'm. I. Maybe I'm just being optimistic that Feige and the team feel the way that I want them to. I really want this film to be focused on now instead of the future. For Christ's sake. We've got 68 characters to get to. What do we need to add another one to the mix for? Yeah. I No, I think I actually, I, I side with you on that. I mean, in this particular case, as much as I love the tradition of post-credit scenes and I like the discussion that we get to have after, I think in this particular case, because Endgame is supposed to feel like an end, let them have their moment. I mean, I have this feeling like we're going to get those original Avengers and basically be sending them off here. So I just want them to have that last moment for themselves because we're talking about a significant amount of content here, and I think I want to walk away focused on them. I think what I would enjoy more in a, a post credit scene would be something just off off the cuff, like the shawarma scene in the first Avengers that celebrates the movie you just watched instead of one that coming that's coming down the road. I will take that, that if that winds up being the good. case. A swarm of callback. Yeah. I like that. That would be really nice. All right. Keep my fingers crossed for that while we jump into another question. This one is from Eric Nugueda, who asks, the new, toy, the new uh, trailer for Toy Story 4 got me thinking, if you could make a toy and have it come to life today, what would it be? What would you name it? And what would you do with it? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> any toy? I guess any, yeah, any toy you want. Can I make a personal assistant? <laughs> That's a really smart answer, actually. That's what I yes, would like. Yes, you can. What toy, what toy would you would you have as your personal assistant? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess a cat. A talking cat that has a better memory than me. Like that's, Hello Kitty. That's my... Oh, no, no, no. Hello Kitty <laughs> is actually like a young British girl. Google it. She's not a cat. She's a young girl dressed as a cat. It's very upsetting. Sorry <laughs> to tell you guys this. Uh, I don't know what the name would be, but definitely a talking cat that keeps my shit straight that's what i need <laughs> i could see like the packaging that brands it like a talking cat that keeps your shit straight <laughs> yeah. sold, sold. sold. <laughs> give me two i, no. I don't even have to answer this question no, no, no. <laughs> No, I, I'm kind of like I'm digging. I'm digging your answer, but I think what I would do is I have like a little figure of Mo from Wally, and I would just breathe life into Mo because oh. I like Mo's sass in that movie, and I also like my apartment neat and clean, so Mo would oh, clean up after nice. Dewey. I would take a Baymax too. He's technically not a toy, but that's I wouldn't mind one. one of those. So now we're just basically I'm just bringing movie characters yeah. to life. <laughs> I would create a toy. Okay. I'm I would so take nervous a, a, a baby doll that that, that oh, has no. little sticky. Hands <laughs> that you could put on the ceiling and creep your friends out with train spotting style, really and like its that. head would spin around. I was so nervous to hear where that was going. A little baby doll. Ah. Uh. Well, we're going to leave you with that visual because that is the end of our show. A huge thank you to everybody out there for joining us. As always, Haley, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. We will see you both very soon. Adam in the booth, another great show today. Thank you so much for all your hard work. Guys, do not forget to like and share this episode of Collider Movie Talk. Please get the word out there about Movie Talk on the YouTube channel and also on the podcast network as well. It's great to take with you on the go. Also, tomorrow 4 p.m. PT. Tune back in for a brand new episode that is coming to you live because we're going to have so much more to talk about. Napa know-how. 
Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. Get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa Automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa Automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 